welcome to Literary Anything, our Marriott Libraries podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Jane. I'm Paula. And if we sound a little different this month, it's because it is different. <laughs> <laughs> it's finally caught up with us, hasn't it? After yep. two and a bit years, Paula is in isolation. Yes, but I don't have COVID. I'm just a close contact. So we thought we would still try and record the podcast anyway, remotely. We've got so many technology skills that we have made it work. <laughs> we <laughs> have a little bit of help. <laughs> Fingers crossed that this records and this gets out to you and everything is all good. So if you're listening to it, it worked. This month we read Black Cake by Charmaine Wilkerson. Now, I can't remember how we found this. How did we find this book? You found Did I? You found it for oh, us, yeah. Wow. That's right. I read an article about it because Oprah's production company have picked this up for a TV adaptation for Hulu. There was a bidding war about this book and getting the rights to it. So Charmaine was born in New York and she moved to Jamaica as a child, which, of course, once we get into it, you'll see that that has influenced the book. The story follows a Caribbean family. Now, just quickly, do you say Caribbean or Caribbean? <laughs> That's so funny because I was going to ask you that too. <laughs> I say Caribbean, but yes. what do you, you say Caribbean? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a North American and Australian thing, I guess. Oh, is it? I okay. Think so I think so. Anyway, she has lived in Rome for the last 20 years and she says, there's a little quote from her saying, I like to joke that people go to Italy to study art history or they go for love and she was there for love. Which is oh. very sweet. So that's a little tiny bit about her. This is her debut novel as well. I've read lots of articles about this, so I might send them, we'll send them through in the notes as, as well later. Do you want to read the blurb? Sure. Eleanor Bennett won't let her own death get in the way of the truth. So when her estranged children, Byron and Benny, reunite for her funeral in California, they discover a puzzling inheritance. First, a voice recording in which everything Byron and Benny ever knew about their family is upended. Their mother tells a tumultuous story about a headstrong young woman who escapes her island home under suspicion of murder. A story which cuts right to the heart of the rift that separated Benny and Byron. Second, a traditional Caribbean black cake, a family recipe with a long history that Eleanor hopes will heal the wounds of the past. Can Byron and Benny fulfil their mother's final request to share the black cake when the time is right? Will Eleanor's revelations bring them back together or leave them feeling more alone than ever? Now, this book is set out in relatively short chapters, wouldn't you say? Oh, extremely, of varying length, but yes, some extremely yes. short. They're often set out with a title that is the name of the person whose POV it is, but not always. So as Jane mentioned, Eleanor has recorded this message to her children. Byron is her son. Benny is her daughter. And the two of them are estranged. And she wasn't able to tell them this while she was living. So she has her lawyer record and play this for the brother and sister. And so she starts to tell them the story of a girl called Covey, short for Coventina. And Coventina was born to Johnny Lynn Cook and his wife, Matilda. And Johnny Lynn Cook was born Gian Lynn because his father came over to the islands, which I don't think she ever actually says Jamaica. No, no. she doesn't. But I think in all the articles that I've read, it said that it was Jamaica. That's the inspiration. And I, yeah, I assumed it was Jamaica. It mm. felt like Jamaica to me, but she refers to it as the islands. So his father came from China and Johnny's nickname is Lynn. 
So Coventina's mother abandons her and she's left to be raised by her father, Lynn, who has a gambling and alcohol problem. And his gambling gets him in so much trouble with a neighborhood thug called Little Man that he has to promise him what he says is the only thing of value that he has left, which is his daughter, Covey. And Covey is in love with Gibbs, and she's horrified to be forced to marry this much older man. And she commiserates with Bunny, who is her best friend, and Pearl, who is the housekeeper who has been helping to look after Covey since her mother left. And on the day of Covey and Little Man's wedding, Little Man mysteriously falls down dead, and Covey takes the opportunity to make her escape to the ocean, and all that is found of her is her wedding dress that's stained with black cake. And Covey with the help of Bunny, is able to flee to the UK and she takes her mother's last name and tries to restart her life in the UK, so avoiding anything to do with her homeland because everyone suspects that she poisoned, because it turns out that little man was poisoned, according to the police. Everyone suspects that she's responsible for poisoning and murdering the man that she didn't want to marry. And in the UK, she ends up traveling to a new job with her friend Eleanor but there is a terrible train accident and Eleanor is killed and their identities are mixed up by the nurses that are helping to look after Covey in the hospital they assume for whatever reason that she is Eleanor and Covey realizes that it would protect her from further detection to assume Eleanor's identity having everyone think that Covey has died and so that's what happens it's reported that Covey has died and that the survivor is Eleanor so she travels on to the job that they were going to as Eleanor but then while she's working at that job She is sexually assaulted by the manager there, and she becomes pregnant and is forced to give her daughter up for adoption, which is often what would happen in those days. Because in Covey's time period, it's the 60s, I think, mid-60s. Yeah. 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 So Betty and Byron heard their mother tell this recorded story, and at that point, they realize that Covey is their mother, Eleanor, and that they have a sister that they never knew about. And so I'm just going to pause here to say that this book has so many themes, wouldn't you say, Jane? Oh, my gosh. It's absolutely chock-a-block full of different themes, this adoption. Things like culture, heritage, race, racism, stereotyping, violence against people of colour, family, loyalty to spouse versus children. And then things like surfing and cooking and baking and nature. Yeah, and food and its cultural relevance. And, yeah, also the Windrush generation. Do you know how Covey talks about how nurses are needed in England from, I think they refer to themselves as the West Indies, which is not a term that we use anymore. Um, Right, that's how they used to uh, refer to the Caribbean. Yes, that's right. So um, the West Indies were used as a place to draw nurses and they were able to study for free in the UK to get their nursing qualifications. So the Windrush generation were all of these sorts of people that migrated from the West Indies at the time. And then there were lots of interesting details that only came out in the 2000s about the Windrush generation that they were denied their citizenship or their children were. There were some forced deportations and the UK government did some apologies. There's a whole... 
cultural history. trauma and history in relation to these people that came from the West Indies in the 60s and 70s? I liked the book up until this point, but mm. it started to lose me about halfway through. How did you feel, Jane? Yeah, I really enjoyed the chapters on the islands and that historical perspective of Jamaica or, well, the islands as they call it in the book and Covey's storyline. It did lose me probably about halfway. It picked up the pace quite a bit and it just, it's one of those books that seemed all the pieces slotted into place very quickly and very cleanly and a bit too nicely for me. Yeah, I would totally agree. I really liked the short chapters Mm. initially, but then it started to feel choppy and clunky and like she was throwing everything in at the end and trying to tie up all these loose ends but not in an organic or seamless way so yeah exactly like what you're saying yeah it was a little unrealistic given how much emphasis was put on how Benny and Byron felt about each other and their estrangement and their Benny's estrangement with her parents and it just seemed to be resolved so quickly and unrealistically and then welcoming a new sister into the family even that seemed a little yeah inauthentic and for example at the very end she threw in what happened to Covey's mother because that was one of the things Mm. you you know that Covey's mother left and that initially she was communicating with the housekeeper Pearl and then she just stops hearing from her and then there's this little bit slotted in at the end that says oh she was at Niagara Falls and then she fell in (laughs) she died yeah yeah she died (laughs) it just seemed a little convenient like oh it's almost like she thought oh I forgot to tie up this this character's storyline let's just kill her off and what did you think about the reveal because the big mystery throughout is who murdered little man Mm. and how did you feel about the reveal I kind of wanted it to have been Covey who didn't um, right or even the dad but I don't know I didn't feel really anything about that yeah see that's the thing I liked what she did with it but Mm. I feel like it got lost in all of these little choppy chapters like it could have been a much bigger reveal yeah had it not been buried in all of that yeah I agree and to the back end of the book you were starting to hear from lots of different characters point of view very quickly you even hear from Lynn a little bit you hear from Pearl you hear from Benny and Byron and is it Marble? Marble? Mabel? Marble? Yeah, Marble's the, the, the sister, sister, yeah. The adopted sister. And Bunny, the and friend Bunny. who turns out to be a swimming star. Yes, yeah, so you are moving quickly. And I didn't mind the chopping and changing, but it did dilute the intensity, I guess, of the core themes and storyline. Yeah, I really wanted to like it more because I really liked the theme of the black cake as a merging of the cultures because yeah. the black cake came from the UK and then was adopted into the West Indian culture. And it was like an analogy for cultures merging together in different ways throughout the book, like through marriages, through children, through travel, through cooking. So I really loved that. But I just got really bogged down with trying to do too much, I feel like. I always enjoy a strong food theme in books. I really love that, especially in historical fiction. And I appreciated Mm -hmm. that throughout the whole book. I even looked up the recipe because I was going to try oh. and find a traditional recipe so that we could post it on the page but there were so many and I didn't want to risk mm. accidentally picking one that wasn't you're getting it wrong getting it right yeah mm. but it sounds really yummy it's like Christmas cake but it's all mushed together so there's no yucky bits of fruit <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of Christmas cake me either I hate Christmas cake because of the mm. smudgy 
gross fruit in it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but this is all pureed, so it might be nice. Yeah, true, true. It might be nice. And the fruit's all like um, yeah. marinated. It just looks like cake. Booze. Yeah, there's no <laughs> bits in it. I can Series, absolutely yeah. see how they could turn this into a successful TV adaptation with a bit of honing and bringing the scope back in a little bit. I think yeah, it could I thought be really exactly cool. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, the same. And it's going to be directed by Marissa Jo Serer, who did Handmaid's Tale and 13 Reasons Why. So oh, that's good. Mm, yes, I feel like, yeah, I agree that it's going to be good as a series. I think it's a pretty strong debut novel. It just probably needed a little bit of tightening up towards the back yeah. end and it didn't need to be as cleanly tied together. Yeah. Here's a random question for you. Do you think that you would recognize your child as an adult if you'd never met them? And the reason I asked this, Covey sees her daughter who becomes famous as a like a food critic or writer. She sees her on the internet and recognizes herself in her daughter and thinks, oh, finally I found her. Yeah. And I just thought, no. That's interesting. Of course not. Like a brand newborn baby. How long did she have the baby before she gave it up? Wasn't very long, was it? No, it wasn't very long at all. But she recognised because the daughter looked like her. Mm. So I just I thought... Mean, I, I mean, the person would have to really be very similar to you for the, you to recognise that. People tell me all the time that my daughter looks just like me, but if I look at her, I don't see it. Yeah. And I'm maybe this, yeah. if she hadn't grown up with me, maybe it would be different. I wondered that too, like... Maybe if I just saw her for the very first time as an adult, I don't know. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's another one of those convenient storylines that sort of forced that connection. Like that was a bit mm. of a forced plot almost that that's mm. how she found it. It's almost like she thought, well, they need to find each other somehow and she's just going to recognise herself in a YouTube presenter. <laughs> I get told I look by particular people and I can't see it so I don't know that I'd even recognize myself in another right. person do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah maybe it would have worked better if somebody else told her oh this person looks just like you and then yeah she discovered it that way <laughs> just fixing up the, the plot for the author here <laughs> if Charmaine wrote another book I'd be very interested to see what it would be like I think the historical elements of her writing were really good mm. um yeah yes Yes, same. We agree. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Have you read anything else this month? I've read two other books. was conscious of what you said to me last month, which was you kind of challenged me to read something that wasn't oh, yeah. um, traumatic. traumatic. <laughs> and I failed. <laughs> but maybe one day, one day this year, maybe. <laughs> so I read See What You Made Me Do by Jess Hill. Oh, man. Okay. I know. <laughs> I so this is not a new already. book. I thought you'd read that no, already. I'd started to and I ran out of time with it. So I finally finished it. I listened to it on audiobook and it is read by Jess Hill as well. Yeah. Um, and it's really well done. It's not a new book. It was published in 2019 and it won the 2020 Stella Prize. So this is a nonfiction book about power, control and domestic abuse. And it is extremely challenging to read because of those themes and because of the amount of abuse and the just the horrific nature of it. And I wouldn't blame somebody if they thought, nah, I just, I can't do it. Like at one point I made the mistake of reading it before bed and mm. that was just, yeah, not good at all. But having said that, 
I also would say that I think it's required reading. This is a really important book that starts important conversations about what domestic abuse looks like, what coercive control looks like, what they can lead to, how many times it takes a woman in an abusive relationship to leave that relationship and why, and so many other crucial topics, especially when you consider um, the stat that Jess Hill shares, which is that one in six women in Australia over the age of 18 has been abused by an intimate partner. So, I mean, that is such a scary stat. And yeah, like I say, such an important book. I was going to ask, is this the kind of book that we should be reading rather than we want to read? We both saw or watched Jess Hill and Grace Tame speak at Writers Week, which was fantastic. Obviously, they've got some um, strong connections in what they both write and talk about yeah this is one that I've picked up lots of times because I feel like it is something we all should know about but I don't know if I've got the stomach for it and I also know that it'll make me very angry to read but perhaps I need just like I eventually read any other day Mm. any ordinary day rather right um, yes which was very sad and upsetting but wonderful and I feel like a better person for a reading it perhaps this is like that too I would say this has got a less positive sort of feeling (laughs) at the end unfortunately but you have to push yourself through it but it does leave you with things in your head that you probably (laughs) would rather not were not there okay I'll take that on notice then perhaps I read a book that I've been wanting to read for a long time and I'm disappointed in it unfortunately Uh Uh, it's a book called Old Seems to Be Other People by Lily Brett. This is, it's a very, very short book. It's a little short book of um, essays almost or vignettes, I guess, about her life, about ageing and living in New York. Lily Brett was a pop music journalist in the 60s and then she's gone on to be a writer of fiction and non-fiction since then. Uh, so I think she's got a fairly fairly large um, fan base I had not heard of her before but this the cover's really quirky and interesting and I'm quite like reading things that are about living in New York some of the little essays are kind of amusing but I didn't actually laugh out loud at any of them I thought it might be a little bit more like I don't know if you know this it's a Martin Scorsese's docuseries about Fran Leibowitz called Pretend It's a City it's on Netflix oh and that's a funny little quirky series about her life in New York and just her opinions on things and she's quite caustic and abrasive Mm. and quite grumpy about just life in general. Right I was gonna say maybe because Fran Leibowitz is more of an interesting character that's why it worked. Yeah yeah probably and I thought it might be a little bit like that but it was it was just a less funny version of that so it was a quick read but unless you're a fan of her writing I didn't really connect with it. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Oh, well. Ben Barrow. What, what, what made you want to read it to begin with because it was about New York? Yeah, and I liked the cover. <laughs> it's as vapid as it gets. <laughs> we do judge books by their covers sometimes. <laughs> what else have you read? Uh, the, other, the other book I read was The Coffin Confessor by William Edgar. So this is also nonfiction. <laughs> I heard about this man on a podcast. He goes to people's funerals at the behest of the person who's died and delivers a message that is often. Is this uh, the guy? Is this the guy that was on the, on Q and A? 
Insight. Insight. Oh, I saw him. Yes, yes. I know. I'm, I haven't watched the Insight yet. I, I keep meaning to because I, I Googled him and found out he wrote a book and it's called The Coffin Confessor, which is what he's called. Um, and initially I was put off by this idea that he just goes to people's funerals and delivers a message that the person didn't want to say when they were alive, which is, I guess, ties in with black cake in a little in yeah, a way. Yeah, a little, yeah. The recording, yeah. Because <laughs> I thought, well, how crummy is that to, like, not have the guts to say what you want to say in life and then you just, like, dump it on people yeah, afterwards. Yeah, drop at the funeral, your own funeral. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But having said that, I was totally surprised by this book. And if you, too, think that that is crummy, Give this book a chance. It's so entertaining. I laughed out loud at parts. And it's not just a series of him talking about the confessions that he's done for people. It's about his life as well, which is extremely sad. So even this book doesn't hold up to my (laughs) attempt to try and read things that are not traumatic (laughs) because his life, his childhood was traumatic and he, he, he was abused and he grew up on the streets in Queensland. And at one point he ended up in Bago road jail, which I understand is famous for being just a horrible, Mm. I mean, aside from it's a jail, it's a really horrible jail, apparently. (laughs) Extra bad Um, jail. Extra bad. Yeah. But it turns out to be a beautiful, heartwarming, really thought-provoking story. So I'd give this one a big recommend. I really loved it. I love the premise of this book. This is all of the things that I would enjoy about a book, other than the Except, traumatic childhood. Yeah. Other than you that. Might with that. You might have to skip those bits. <laughs> but I love the idea of this. It's so amusing to me. It sounds awful, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it? But it's a bit <laughs> no. salacious and gossipy <laughs> it is it is um, the other- and oh I listened to that one too on audiobook and that one is also read by the author mm-hmm. and his delivery is just really dry and you really mm. get the sense of what kind of a guy he is it, yeah fantastic I'm, gonna, I'm going to put that on my list oh I can't wait to hear what you think <laughs> the other book I read was Dissolve by Nikki Gemmell have you ever read any of Nikki Gemmell's books I haven't and I keep meaning to. I so much enjoy her writing. She isn't for Mm. everybody, but I've been a fan for a really long time. Dissolve is about the journey of a creative woman roaring to life in a man's world. Having lived through the humiliation and bewildering complexity of heartbreak in her 20s, Nikki Gemmell eventually resurfaces, reclaimed space for herself and found her voice. Decades later, she's written a deeply personal, profoundly intimate reflection on love and female creativity and what happens when the two collide in a man's world. So it's like a little mini memoir about a certain slice of her life, her relationships in her early 20s with with men and in particular this one relationship where she almost marries this man and how she and how so many women squash their ambition or their desires or their interests or their hobbies even to suit their partner's hobbies and interests and lives and career and whatever. So it's deeply reflective. She's very, her, her writing's very poetic and lyrical and she's brutally honest about her own life and others in all of her writing. So some of her books and her writing can be a little confronting and sometimes shocking, but they're always super honest. This is not my favourite of her books, but it was mm-hmm. it was a good insight into what lots and lots of women feel in their lives. 
Oh, I really want to read that because I'm really interested in particularly female creativity. I find that really yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, her book After is one of my favourite books. I think I might have spoken about it a couple of years ago on the pod. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a fabulous book. Maybe Do you think I should start with After before I read this one or does it not matter? I don't think it matters. They're about two completely different topics. After's quite sad. Um, After mm-hmm. is about her mother's choice to die by assisted suicide oh you have talked about that on the pod yeah, yeah right it's really yeah. it's yeah that's a sad book but it's beautiful fantastic well i have a little bit of literary news to share first of all the stella prize shortlist is out if you want to check that out you can look at our socials or just google it bodies of light is one of the shortlisted uh, novels and we talked about that one last month because i read that one it's by jennifer downs drop bears on there as well and that's one that i have picked up multiple times to read but I just haven't done it. The other thing I wanted to mention, Jane mentioned earlier about Jess Hill and Grace Tame at the Adelaide Writers 2022 and if you missed it they record all of those talks and they are now available so if you just search for Adelaide Writers Week wherever you get your podcasts you can browse through and listen to any of the ones that you missed. Yeah great great opportunity to have a listen. I thought we should talk about Inventing Anna because we said we were going to and then we didn't do it last month. In case you're new here, we read Rachel Deloche Williams's book, My Friend Anna, which was about Anna Delvey. And I don't know, it seems like since Inventing Anna has come out and all of the memes and the TikToks and everything are out there. People, Some people are like, who the heck is this Anna Delvey? And uh, it seems weird to me because we've been living mm. with her since we read that book. Yeah. So we know who she is very well. We mention it almost every single month since we read that <laughs> book. Willingly. We love talking about it. <laughs> it was so great to watch Inventing Anna because Rachel's book gives us just the snippet mm. of of uh, Anna's story that Rachel was involved in, which was pretty yeah. much from when they go to Marrakesh. And through but, her lens, through her very privileged, <laughs> slightly babyish lens. <laughs> Jane has got that love to hate her relationship with Rachel. Yeah. And so, yeah. It was so fun to watch. I was beside myself with excitement and I think you were a little bit ahead of me watching when it came out and every day you'd be like, next next episode is the yeah, court case. You, see- you wait until <laughs> you, you see. see? <laughs> and I was just <laughs> so excited and it was so good. Julia Garner did such a great job and the accent was so fantastic and hilarious and has spawned, like you said, so many imitations and copies and skits and we've absolutely been talking like Anna at work. <laughs> well, Jane has because Jane can do it. Come on. Jane, no, you gotta I'm say absolutely that I do not. not. No, I'm Come abs- on, just say no. I do not have no. time for this. No. I do not have time for you. <laughs> I know some people, some people found acting a bit Mm. not so great and there were definitely flaws with it but having more Anna knowing more about Anna's story was what I loved about it anyway. I was never not going to love this series no matter how it (laughs) turned out and yeah I mean that's her accent though she sounds like that 
which is, some people are like, oh my gosh, the accent's ridiculous, but it is ridiculous in real it life is. as well. Yeah. I yeah, I thought it was hilarious and fun. Some people thought it was a bit slow, but yeah, I don't care about any of that. I just liked all of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was very fun to watch. <laughs> Shall I talk a little bit about a book that's coming out next Please. month? I've got one here. I actually realised I chose a couple and you know what? All three of them are set on an island and all of them are mysteries. Oh. And two of them involve families and some estrangement between them. Oh, wow. That's that's the theme for this month, I that guess. That is. That is. Remember that that period of time when I read heaps of books in a row that were historical <laughs> fiction books set on remote islands? Do you remember? Yes. <laughs> and they were all a bit witchy as well. Do you remember? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yes. This one actually comes out at the very end of March. It's called Metronome by Tom Watson. These are all Bloomsbury books, so they're obviously on the island theme for the month as well. For 12 years, Anina and Whitney have been in exile on an island for a crime they committed together, tethered by a croft by pills they must take for survival each night, every eight hours. They've kept busy, Anina with her garden, her jigsaw, her music, Whitney with her sculptures and maps. But something's not right. Shipwrecks have begun washing up and the supply drops have stopped. And on the day they're meant to be collected for parole, the warden does not come. Instead, there's a sheep, but sheep can't swim. As days, pass, <laughs> as days pass, Anina begins to suspect that their prison is part of a peninsula and that Whitney has been keeping secrets. And if he's been keeping secrets, maybe she should too. Convinced they've been abandoned, she starts investigating ways she might escape. As she comes to grips with the decisions that haunt her past, she realises her biggest choice is yet to come. So it sounds a little, maybe not dystopian, but a little bit mm. end of the world Mm. mysterious kind of a book. I'll show you the cover if you can see it on the screen. Okay. Can you see that? Oh, yeah. It's very sparse and then with a bit of land sticking up out of water. Yeah. I'll just very quickly run through these two because they sound so similar. The first one is Little Nothings by Julie Mayhew. And ironically, we were just talking about it. She wrote Impossible Causes, which is one of the books I read that was set on the remote island and was a bit witchy. <laughs> So she's written another book set on an island. Tensions between friends spiral towards disaster in this thrilling novel set on a luxury Greek island resort for fans of Adele Parks, Louise Candlish and Leanne Moriarty. Ah. Set over the course of a single life-changing trip to a Greek island paradise, Little Nothings is a sly, suspenseful novel about female bonds turned toxic and the desperate ends one woman will go to keep her friends close and her enemy closer. It does sound a little bit Leanne Moriarty-ish. It does, yeah. The other one is called The Cove by Alice Clark Platts. This is a luxury Malaysian resort island this time, surrounded by a pristine sea and a dense beauty of the jungle. It's the perfect escape from the stresses of life and work for couples Lou and Adam, Eliza and Noah, a few days spend, spent relaxing on the beach while their kids are happily distracted exactly what they needed. There's a strange tension brewing, though, at the resort with relations between the hotel and the locals threatening to spill over into violence. This is nothing, though, compared to the strained atmosphere between the two families and they haven't been friends for long and they're starting to realise they don't really know each other at all. So Maybe you're just really wanting to go on holiday to an <laughs> island, Jane. <laughs> that could be it. That actually could be it. <laughs> 
so three Done books. with all this COVID stuff. Yeah, three books about mysterious island happenings. Island. So next so, month's book, would you our, like to do the honours? Yes, I would love to. Our book for May is nonfiction and it is Larima. So this is about a missing man, an eyeless rock, in an outback town of 12 people who mostly hate each other. And Jane, what do we want to say about the cover of oh, this book? Oh, the cover's not attractive, is it? But I think it's I don't think it's meant to be. I think it's meant to look how it does. And once you see it, you'll know what we're talking about. It is it's an ugly it's an ugly cover. It, it, yeah, it's not great, but we just were fascinated by what this is about, weren't we? Yes, absolutely. It okay. sounds quite amusing as well. <laughs> Something I am excited about this book is that there's a lot of maps in the front, which we both love. Have you oh, looked? Jane's favourite. No, I haven't even cracked this book open yet. Can't wait. Okay, <laughs> Larima, hot, barren, a speck of dust in the centre of the nothingness of outback Australia where you might find a death adder in the bar and a spider or ten in the toaster. <laughs> Maybe it's stupid to write a love letter to a town that looks like this, especially when it's someone else's town, a town where there's nothing to see, nothing to buy, and the closest thing to an attraction is a weird pink panther in a gyrocopter whose head falls off intermittently, a town steeped in ancient superstition and pockmarked with sinkholes. People go missing in the bush there, the traditional owners say. It makes no sense to fall for a place when the town is crumbling into the dust and it looks a lot like your love letter might end up being a eulogy. But whatever happened in Larima, it's strange and precious and surprisingly funny. Journalists Kylie Stevenson and Caroline Graham have spent years trying to pin it down. What happened to Patty Moriarty and his dog? How they disappeared? How they might take the whole town and something even bigger with them? <laughs> I just, Jane has already started this book and... You're already laughing about it, aren't you? Yeah, I sent Paula a photo when I was reading of even the dedication at the beginning of the book <laughs> and the author's note. I think I like it already. <laughs> Despite this being about a missing man, it sounds like mm. it's going to be funny. I hope so. I really, really hope so. And it's, it's it sounds super really... duper Aussie. Right, yes. And it sounds like nothing else we've ever read before. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly. Should be good. Uh, it's available on e audiobook on Libby and in ebook format on Borrowbox. And of course, we have hard copy copies in the collection. Yes. So go ahead, borrow, read along, and we'll see you here next month. Bye. Bye.